You can support The Historian's Podcast, linked to our GoFundMe page from our website, bobcudmore.com. This is Jim Martin. Actually, my full name is James Kirby Martin, and I'm the author of a biography about Benedict Arnold. Uh, It appeared about 20 years ago and is still very active, still sells a lot of copies even today, uh, entitled Benedict Arnold, uh, and it's really about uh, his military career, focused on his military career as a revolutionary general. Anyway, it has now been made into a two-hour documentary. Uh, The documentary is uh, out and available on various streaming services, including Amazon Prime, Vudu, iTunes, uh, and a bunch of of other ones. Uh, It will eventually appear in in various other streaming services and uh, will be presented on Fox Nation in May uh, upcoming. So uh, this particular production is two hours. And uh, uh, it's uh, out and available. It's reviewed very well, and it's somewhat controversial because it does bear the title Benedict Arnold, Hero Betrayed. Now, it doesn't have a question mark there because one of the points is to deal with that particular matter, and that is, if we put it this way, did Arnold betray the country or did the country perhaps portray him before his betrayal in return. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. James Kirby Mountain is executive producer of the television documentary Benedict Arnold, Hero Betrayed. And I didn't quite hear you. Does it have a question mark at the end or no question mark? Uh, there is not a question mark there. The question mark is for our audience to consider the evidence. What we tried to do in this documentary, and by the way, it is narrated by a well-known actor, Martin Sheen. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we tried to do was to get uh, the audience involved. We're going to present the evidence. That's a very, very important part of the process because so so many times in in Arnold's situation, the evidence is not presented. There's just a bunch of conclusions that he was this really bad guy. But if he was really bad, then why did he do all these good things for the revolution? And What we tried to do was balance those kinds of issues off because when you look at his military career on behalf of the Americans, it's absolutely outstanding. George Washington did call Arnold his best fighting general, uh, and that's a virtual quote that is almost direct. And so what we're really trying to do is to get the audience involved, look at the evidence, How bad was this guy? Or maybe he did do good things. Maybe his life wasn't just all bad. Maybe it was really a tragic life. These are the kinds of questions that we try to raise. And we ask the audience to look at the evidence, study the issues, enjoy the film because it's meant to be entertaining. And at the same time, it's also meant to be very honest uh, in the portrayal of this very, very controversial American. Let me add that the Benedict Arnold name is one of the best known in American history. I once saw a list where he was among the top, what was it, five or Mm ten best known names in the history of the United States. And uh, so it's not a a subject of little consequence. Actually, it's a subject which is uh, really in many ways at the heart of understanding not only Arnold, perhaps more broadly, uh, the realities of the American Revolution. James Kirby Martin is an emeritus university professor of history at the University of Houston out in Houston, Texas. 
I interviewed you uh, once uh, some years ago, five or six years ago, when you were attending uh, one of the Fort Plain Museum's American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley uh, conferences. And uh, I don't know, just to mention something that uh, kind of broadens your uh, reach as a, a scholar of history, uh, what we talked about then, or what you talked about then, was the Oneida Nation, correct? The only I Iroquois tri um, tribe or Iroquois nation who supported the rebels during the American Revolution. Yes, that's correct. Um, I co-authored a book on that subject that came out uh, in 2006, uh, and uh, is still out there active in the marketplace, still has a readership, and uh, it, it is a story of the Oneida Nation. Uh, the title is Forgotten Allies, the Oneida Indians and the American Revolution, because their history somehow and their contributions to the revolutionary cause had more or less been silted out of our history, out of our memories. And then uh, one of the purposes for doing this book was to reinsert the contributions of this very important Indian nation among the six nations, their contributions on behalf of uh, winning the war for American independence. But back to uh, Benedict Arnold, uh, it's of great interest to me and to uh, some of our quote-unquote local listeners, although, of course, with the podcast, people could be listening uh, anywhere. But the people who created this uh, documentary that's being uh, streamed about Benedict Arnold, it, in general, came from our area. I have here that the director, Chris Stearns, was born in Niskayuna, a suburb of uh, Schenectady, which is quite near where I live. And the co-producers and writers were Tom Mercer from Saratoga Springs and Anthony Vertucci from Fort Johnson. All three had a keen interest in our region's revolutionary war history while growing up. How did you, um, I don't know, get involved with these guys? Well, it's it's a very interesting story. They actually, I was doing, a, I don't exactly remember the, the business, but the contact came when I was visiting New York City on some sort of a, a book project, I'm, I'm sure. And anyway, they, they approached me. They called me and they said, hey, we read your book. We think you got this story right. Why did you get it right? You didn't tell it backwards from looking backwards through the prism of treason and then try to find reasons why Arnold committed the, the act of treason. Rather, you did it from the beginning in terms of living the life as he lived it, and it becomes an explanation. And we think that would be a great story to develop, an explanation of the build-up toward his not only amazing contributions, but then uh, his decision to turn against the American cause. So they were interested in the storyline, and they said, would I be willing to work with them? And I said, why not? Yes. And, um, well, it, wasn't, it took a while. Twenty years later, we now have a two-hour documentary. Well, let's go to Benedict uh, Arnold, the person. Uh, wh who was he? Where did he come from, for example? Well, he was uh, born in a prospering Connecticut family uh, in Norwich, eastern Connecticut, in 1741. Uh, his father uh, married a woman of uh, prominence in the community. Uh, he was... Uh, fourth in the line that father is of the Benedict Arnold line. The original Benedict Arnold in America was the governor of Rhode Island. So it was a family that um, was very prominent but had been having some difficulties, and really it's Arnold's father 
uh, Benedict IV, uh, who turned the family fortunes around. Um, and so Arnold grew up in, for at least a few a few years, very prospering circumstances. And and then something terrible happened. A disease swept through the community. There's some debate about what the disease, uh, uh, particular disease, disease was. I think it probably was diphtheria, uh, which you strangle to death, your throat closes up on you, and you can't breathe anymore, and uh, that's the end. But anyway, uh, they lose some of the children. Arnold's a survivor. Uh, a younger sister, Hannah, is a survivor. But three of the children died. The father almost died. And, it, and it's like the family came apart, and the father develops a drinking problem. Uh, mm -hmm. living with the misery of his lost family. Uh, and it's all downhill for the Arnolds in the 1750s because of this problem. And that's the, that's where Arnold, uh, our story, our main storyline character, Arnold Five, uh, actually, he grew up in these conditions. And it greatly affected his life. Uh, his mother told him at one point that God was preparing him for death, so he needed to uh, uh, behave himself. Uh, it's part of the Calvinist theology of the time. Uh, the community sort of turned against the family because the father was seen drunken in public, and it goes on and on and on. And one of the things that I really think stands out in Arnold's youth is he begins to have a hard time dealing with arbitrary power. Very important theme in his life. Uh, these people are misjudging him. They're misjudging his family. They don't have any sympathy or empathy, that sort of thing. And in the 60s and the 70s, he's going to transfer that kind of feeling uh, that he has growing up in his youth. And the new source of arbitrary power for Arnold uh, really will turn out to be what? The British Empire. The British Empire with his taxes. Uh, the British Empire with cracking down uh, on uh, the behavior of the Americans. They're trying to crack down the Stamp Act, the Townsend duties, all this sort of stuff. And Arnold's a resistor. And also he's a smuggler. And people point out, well, he was a smuggler, but so was John Hancock. And so were another, <laughs> another, right. uh, uh, many other uh, well-known revolutionary leaders uh, because they're resisting British policy. But what happens with Arnold? He goes into this war enthusiastic. We're going to stand up. We're going to stand for our rights. We're going to, if need be, we're going to go all the way to revolution and independence. And he will pursue that course vigorously, but in the process he starts to become disillusioned with the American cause, disillusioned with the American support, which did waver significantly at times, uh, disillusioned in terms of support of the Continental Army. Uh, and, and in the end, he starts to take a position that maybe the arbitrary power is really the Continental Congress and civilians who don't participate and all that sort of thing. So that really gets him in a position mm -hmm. where he's getting into trouble, and it's going to be pretty much all downhill for him after that. Just a little detour. I, I missed it. Maybe you said this. What was his father's or his family's occupation? Were they farmers? Oh, well, his, his, his father um, actually uh, started out as a barrel maker in Rhode Island. Uh, the family had been splitting their property up through the generations, and the, there was really no farm farming ability for the father. So he uh, became a, a, I guess we call him a low-level worker, uh, artisan, uh, and uh, he moved to from Rhode Island to Norwich, looking for more opportunity and work. 
uh, and uh, he met this this widow, uh, Arnold's mother, named Hannah, and uh, uh, he married Hannah, and Hannah, uh, her, her husband had been a trading merchant, a deceased husband, mm-hmm. and so basically uh, Arnold's father took over that business and mm. built a very prosperous business in the 1740s when Arnold was quite young. But so, that is. We're into the 1750s, and by then is the kind of, I don't know, the winds of revolution are, are blowing, and Arnold goes for that. Uh, I mean, when was he kind of um, sign on to the concept that, yes, the colonies should become independent? Well, that is a—it's really beyond the 1750s. Um, uh, let me let me add uh, that in the 1750s, one of the stories about Arnold, there are a lot of stories that are made up, was that he was, during the French and Indian War in the 1750s, he would go sign up in New York for uh, military service, and then he'd take the bounty money and run home with it, and then he'd come back and sign up and run home. That's really a false story, a misrepresentation, and that's been uh, well documented, not just by me, but other historians as well. But in the 50s, he did, at the age of 16, which was about 1757, he did perform militia service for about two weeks. That was the extent of his military experience before the war broke out in 1775. Hmm. But what happens in the 1760s, he begins uh, set up through his uh, mother's cousins, the Lafer brothers, uh, and he becomes a uh, apothecary merchant in in New Haven. Uh, he will get into the trading, that is, the trading end of the business. He will start to uh, acquire and captain his own vessels. He's a very successful businessman in the 60s and the 70s, and uh, that then uh, will begin to lead him to doubt the advantages of being a part of the British Empire, of which he and all the other colonists were a part at this particular time. And why would that be? Because new British trade regulations that were coming in after 1763, trying to force the colonists to pay pay trade duties instead of avoid trade duties, uh, pay taxes such as would be involved in the Stamp Act or in the Townsend Trade Duties Act. Um, And these kinds of things certainly riled up Arnold, and he became sort of committed to resisting these British policies. And, And he was you might call him this. Uh, we all have heard of Samuel Adams as the uh, radical leader in Boston. In many ways, Arnold was that kind of a person in New Haven and sort of riling up the population, saying, we've got to resist this British impending British tyranny, that sort of thing. Uh, so his thoughts are developing, we have to resist. And then by the 1770s, as policies and differences continue, he will he will get involved and he will actually helped form a militia company in New Haven in 1774 uh, called the Second Company of Foot Guards, uh, and uh, he will begin to organize his own militia regiment, and then after Lexington and Concord, he doesn't, and then 1775 in April, he doesn't hesitate to get involved. Now, I was going to ask you what were Arnold's great acts of, of courage on behalf of the revolution. I wrote down three of them, uh, Quebec, Valcor and and Saratoga, uh, or have I m- missed some at the start? Uh, I think those are that I would 
I don't know whether I call this an act of courage, but he, in, when he takes his militia uh, company uh, to the area of Boston, outside of Boston, and, and communities outside, uh, outside of Boston, trapping British soldiers in there that had engaged in the battles of Lexington and Concord, what he does, he will meet with some of the leaders, uh, men of great stature like Joseph Warren, who will eventually be killed at uh, uh, Bunker Hill, but Warren's an important, very important leader, and others like that. And Arnold says, I'm aware that you go out west to areas like Fort Ticonderoga uh, in the Lake Champlain area, and there's all sorts of artillery, weaponry out there that you can bring back because any army, if you're going to have one, has to have a serious amount of, you know, high-powered weaponry. And so the Warren group will commission him a colonel in the Massachusetts militia, and he will go west and he will be involved with Ethan Allen in the taking of Ticonderoga on May 10th of 1775. And what he begins to do at this point is to build a, a, a wall of resistance making sure that the British can't drop an army, if you think of the basic geography, that say south out of Montreal, going up uh, Lake Champlain to Ticonderoga, uh, Crown Point, and other areas, and controlling that corridor, and then you can attack New England from behind, basically. And so Arnold then will become a very important leader in that area, only to be, again, why does he become disillusioned? only be relieved of command because of, well, problems with men like Ethan Allen and others who are spreading lies about Arnold and so on and so forth that really make it difficult. So he's relieved of command. Arnold's out. And so he goes, he, he will go home and, and he has to deal with the death of his wife. And, then, and he, he's so upset he doesn't know what to do. In August, he will go back up into the area around Boston. He'll meet George Washington and Washington is very impressed by him. He said, this guy's good. This guy's worked hard. This guy did a great job uh, in building a line of defense in the Fort Ticonderoga area. And so Washington then taps into Arnold, makes him a, you know, declares him a colonel in the Continental Army, and then the rest of that will deal with what you're, you're talking about with regard to attempts to take Quebec, uh, the Valcour Island action in 1776, and of course the greatest of them all, the battles of Saratoga, where Arnold was critical to victory in 1777. And that Saratoga victory, of course, capturing a whole British army will help convince the French to come in as good and faithful American allies, uh, and they will help provide a critical margin of difference uh, in helping the Americans win the war. So and at the Saratoga battlefield, you find a, a monument to Arnold, uh, yes. do you not, or, or to yes, his it's, leg? It's, it's one of my favorite monuments. It's called the Monument to a Boot, because Arnold was actually wounded twice. In the first, the first time in the attempt to take Quebec at the end of 17, the city, that is, at the end of 1775, completely repulsed. But in 1777... He will lead the way to victory in the Second Battle of Saratoga, and he will charge into a redoubt that is being defended uh, uh, by Hessian soldiers. Uh, and what will happen is they will, and this actually breaks the British line and begins the retreat out of the Saratoga area northward toward uh, uh, 
the area then called the, the, the town of Saratoga, now Schuylerville. And in any way, the, 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 point, the point is, Arnold will charge in and rally the Americans to begin to break the line, and in the process, his horse is shot out from underneath him. Not the first time that happened in combat uh, with him, but then he will also be hit in the same leg with another musket ball, and it rips his leg apart, um, and he goes down. And that's really the end uh, of his active military career for the Americans. He never really does physically recover from this in many ways. He limps around the rest of his life, but he does survive. And um, anyway, that's what the monument's all about. To it, it says something, I don't have it in front of me right now, uh, to one of the great soldiers of the Continental Army. Uh, but it doesn't name him because you can't name Arnold because here's the hero, but really he was a hero what? Who betrayed the cause, which goes back to the theme of the movie. Did he betray the cause or that before then did the cause betray him? And so these are, these are the kinds of things that we try mm -hmm. to deal with. I would recommend everybody go visit the Saratoga battlefield. It's a, it's a beautiful area to visit, by the way. It's a beautiful place to have a major battle, one of the most major battles in all of human history. Mm -hmm. and, and there you can preserve this monument uh, to a boot rather than to uh, who was rightfully, despite Congress in, Congress's anointing Horatio Gates, uh, the real hero there was Benedict Arnold. So the Battle of Saratoga is in 1777, but by 1780, we've got Arnold dealing or talking with the British. I mean, is this true? I mean, this is what comes through in history, um, offering to turn over West Point, which I believe was then considered an important fort for the, uh, uh, the rebels. Uh, did, did he... Did he want to do that? I mean, did he turn traitor, if you will, or make a deal with the British? Uh, yes, he did. And uh, there are many, it's a very involved story of his growing disillusionment. Uh, he becomes, because he can't really get, after his serious wounding at Saratoga, and six months or more of rehabilitation, uh, Washington gives him a position to be the military governor of Philadelphia, which had been controlled by the British. The British vacated. Arnold came in. And Arnold started to have all sorts of problems with the local leaders who were on a vengeance trip. We've got to get even with all of these people uh, in the Philadelphia area who collaborated with the British. And there were, there were other issues like that. And so it's bad because Arnold's been given an assignment to get this city back, back under control. These leaders don't want him there. Um, and all sorts of fights break out that um, we, we could go on about endlessly. But that's the beginning point for him. He will marry this teenage, uh, beautiful teenage woman, uh, uh, Peggy Shippen. Uh, she is somewhat involved in uh, maybe feeding his growing disillusionment. I don't want to overstate that because Arnold was Arnold was his own man. He wasn't going to let his wife control him. But she did put him in contact, uh, I believe this is safe to say, uh, with a local merchant who in turn uh, was sort of a fellow traveler. And Arnold started to communicate uh, with the British, um, and they sort of toy back and forth. And Arnold's case is, you know, I've fought, I've bled, I've given, I've sacrificed portion of my fortune to this cause. Uh, I get 
you know, I get, I just get mistreated by people and I don't see the purpose anymore. I've lost the sense of purpose. Uh, Arnold wrote a letter in 1778 to Washington uh, when he's recovering. This is, uh, this is in early 1778 after he uh, was shot up at uh, Saratoga. And Congress had finally it horsed him around about his rank and uh, uh, status and everything. Finally conceded after the great victory at Saratoga to restore Arnold's seniority as a major general. And Washington, Congress didn't have the courage, by the way, to write Washington. They left the job to Washington. Washington wrote Arnold, you know, you've been fully restored. Let's forget all this other stuff that's been going on where you've been unfairly treated. Uh, Arnold, uh, in, in Washington, actually said Arnold a pair of epaulets, a sort of an honor that had been given to Washington by uh, a French officer. And, and Arnold didn't respond for a few weeks. Now, it's possible he was so sick he couldn't respond. But in reality, he did ultimately respond, and it's this a very important letter, because he writes to Washington, he marginally thanks him for telling, that his, telling him that his seniority has been restored. But he also says in this letter, basically, I want to wish you good luck in all of your fortune, and I want to wish you uh, success with your cause. I want to wish you this. I want to wish you that uh, in continuing to support the war. But he never calls it, from that point forward, his cause or our cause. It was your cause. And that is a very, very important distinction that he is clearly making, uh, and he'll build on that, and that's going to lead to the exchange of letters because things don't really improve for him um, uh, because of all the turmoil in Philadelphia and ultimately will lead uh, to the decision uh, to try to turn over West Point. Now, let me add one thing. Many scholars say the West Point, turning over West Point, at that stage of the war probably wouldn't have had much of an effect because the British were unprepared to really defend the whole of the Hudson-Champlain corridor, and the war had spread everywhere. It was no longer just contained in New England, um, which was the point of British strategy was to get control of the uh, Hudson-Champlain corridor, and then you sweep east and you knock New England, the center, the original center of the rebellion, uh, out. Um, But, but, um, I mean, we can debate that point. But Arnold was. He was thoroughly disillusioned with the cause. He was embittered, um, and he wrote a letter to Washington the evening after he went over, September 25, 1780, and he said he expected no one would understand what he did, but he fully understood, and he believed that his actions were correct and just. And what he meant by that was, George, the cause is lost. It's floundering. It's going nowhere. The people aren't supporting it. They don't even support the Continental Army. Some of these points are basically true, and you ought to give it up. Let's go back to the British Empire and start again. Maybe we can work a better deal with them this time. And that's where his thinking had gone. Um, but in many ways today, it's it's translated in lots of other ways that he lacked character. Uh, he was... Uh, a weak person. He never did anything good. He liked to climb up the trees when he was a little kid and uh, break the necks of baby birds. And uh, he'd stand on tables and uh, would shout and scream during thunderstorms. And um, he was in league with the devil and uh, he was disrespectful of authority. And all those stories go on and on and on and on. 
Most of them, by the way, there's no basis in fact for them at all. They were made up after Arnold was actually dead. Arnold mm. passed away in 1801 in England. Uh, some of these stories were made up for a biographer by the name of Jared Sparks, the first Arnold biography written in the 1830s. Sparks was an enthusiast, a revolutionary collector. He's a very uh, distinguished historian in the 19th century, ends up being the president of Harvard. And I found letters in the Harvard Library where Starks is writing, tell us how bad Arnold really was. And they, these guys <laughs> made up stories about him. Uh, and that then worked its way into history and is still floating around out there, even today. We have been talking with James Kirby Martin, who's one of the executive producers of the television documentary Benedict Arnold, Hero Betrayed. The film is based on Martin's 1997 book, Benedict Arnold, Revolutionary Hero. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore.